The Senate will officially return Monday, believe it or not, and will be in a period of mourning business until it is not. No votes are scheduled. The House is in recess, and members have been told they will be given at least 24 hours notice before any votes. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate came back to work last Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Mark Wesley Menezes to be Deputy Secretary of Energy. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm Mark Wesley Menezes to be Deputy Secretary of Energy. On Thursday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of John Peter Cronin to be U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of New York. Then the Senate voted to confirm John Peter Cronin to that position. Then the Senate entertained a number of confirmations by voice vote. Hester Maria Pierce to be a member of the Securities and Exchange Commission for a term expiring June 5th, 2025. Carolyn A. Crenshaw to be a member of the Securities and Exchange Commission for a term expiring June 5, 2024. Christopher C. Miller to be director of the National Counterterrorism Center in the office of the Director of National Intelligence. Sung Y. Kim to be ambassador to the Republic of Indonesia. Natalie E. Brown to be ambassador to the Republic of Uganda. Sandra E. Clark to be ambassador to Burkina Faso. Joseph Manso as UF representative to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Henry T. Wooster to be ambassador to the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Jason Myung-Ik Chung to be U.S. Director of the Asian Development Bank. Richard M. Mills Jr. to be the Deputy Representative to the United Nations and the Deputy Representative in the U.N. Security Council. William Ellison Grayson to be Ambassador to the Republic of Estonia. William W. Pop to be Ambassador to the Republic of Guatemala. J. Stephen Dowd to be United States Director of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Ramsey Coates Day to be an Assistant Administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development. And Jenny A. McGee to be an Associate Administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development. And then they were done. This week on the Senate floor, the Senate will return Monday and will be in a period of morning business. No votes are scheduled, said Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in announcing the schedule, quote, I will not be adjourning the Senate for our August recess today, as had been previously scheduled. I've told Republican senators they will have 24-hour notice before a vote, but the Senate will be convening on Monday. The House has already skipped town, but the Senate won't adjourn for August recess unless and until the Democrats demonstrate they will never let an agreement materialize, end quote. Now to big tech bias. You'll recall that two weeks ago, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube removed from their platforms video clips of America's frontline doctors talking about their own experiences treating COVID-19 patients. Well, the big tech social media giants upped the ante last week. On Wednesday, Facebook and Twitter took down the president's statements, and Twitter didn't stop there. They blocked his campaign from tweeting until the campaign itself had acquiesced and removed a post Twitter found offensive. And what was the offensive information that violated the big tech giants' community guidelines? It was a statement by the president that children are, quote, virtually immune, unquote, to COVID-19. Both Facebook and Twitter consider this to be a breach of their guidelines on coronavirus misinformation. Of course, as we've pointed out over these last months, children are virtually immune to COVID-19. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, as of July 30, 338,000 children had tested positive for COVID-19 in the United States. That represents 8.8% of all cases in states reporting cases by age. Says the American Academy of Pediatrics, quote, a smaller subset of states reported on hospitality, uh, I'm sorry, hospitalization and mortality by age, but the available data indicated that COVID-19 associated hospitalization and death 
is uncommon in children. At this time, it appears that severe illness due to COVID-19 is rare among children, end quote. As for mortality, children were 0% to 0.8% of all COVID-19 deaths. That's less than 1%. And 20 states reported zero child deaths. Now to coronavirus relief bill negotiations. Well, it happened finally. It, of course, was the decision by White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin after two weeks of lots of talk and seemingly little progress to walk away from the negotiations with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer over a fifth coronavirus relief bill. And why did Meadows and Mnuchin make the decision to walk away? because they came to the conclusion that Pelosi and Schumer were not going to yield in their obstinacy, and they would simply not be able to come to agreement with the Democrats. As we've discussed for weeks, this was a very, very big bill, and consequently there were several areas of disagreement. Democrats were adamant that they get $1 trillion in funding for a bailout of state and local governments. The Republican negotiators began the negotiations offering to reprogram $150 billion that still had not been spent yet from the March CARES Act and ended up talking about agreeing to spend up to $200 billion on state and local governments, but that was not good enough for Pelosi and Schumer, despite the fact that the Republicans had a study from the Office of the Inspector General at the Treasury Department that revealed that on average, states had not used three quarters of the funding they'd received in the CARES Act from back in March. Democrats were adamant that the two sides agree to extend the $600 per week unemployment insurance super stipend to be extended into next year. Republicans believe that money actually creates an incentive for some people not to go back to work because they make more money on unemployment than they would if they went back to work. So Republicans opposed it, but they knew Democrats would beat them about the head politically if they opposed it outright. So they offered in various iterations to renew the benefit at a lower level. They offered $200 a week and then $400 a week until December, but the Democrats would agree to nothing lower than $600 a week for the next eight months. Pelosi and Schumer said they would be willing to drop their number by a trillion dollars from a $3.4 trillion base if the Republicans would be willing to raise their base number by a trillion dollars. The Republicans rejected that offer. So, following up on his promises, on Saturday afternoon, President Trump signed four orders. First was an executive order directing the Treasury Secretary to defer the collection of payroll taxes for individuals making up to $104,000 per year from September 1 through December 31. Note, and this is important, the taxes would still accrue and would be due later. President Trump has promised that if he is elected, if he is reelected, one of his agenda items with the Congress next year will be to pass legislation repealing those taxes. So now we've got a clear-cut tax issue on the ballot. Second was an extension of the unemployment insurance super stipend at what could be as high as $400 per week if states cover a portion of the payment, $100 per week. To fund this, the president is moving $44 billion from the Federal Emergency Management Agency's Disaster Relief Fund, which has about $70 billion in it now. The benefits would be paid until December 6th or until the balance in the Disaster Relief Fund reaches a level of $25 billion. Democrats believe that would be enough money to pay for two to three months of the benefit. The third order was an extension of a moratorium on evictions, although it's unclear as to how that's going to be 
done exactly. And the fourth order is a deferral of collections on student loans and interest until the end of the year. Democrats and the media predictably went nuts. And so did a couple of Republicans, including Senator Lamar Alexander, who is retiring at the end of this Congress, and Nebraska Senator Ben Sass, who is not. Democrats have promised to file lawsuits challenging the president's ability to do these things by executive order. That's not surprising, but we'll have to see if they actually follow through with lawsuits. They might not like the optics of headlines that read, Democrats sue Trump to block unemployment benefits. Stay tuned. And that's our Washington report for this week.